Yeah, so that's our conversation this morning, talking about this, this sacred search, you know, a sacred search for an abundant life. Uh, one, of the reason that, one of the reasons I think this is so important is because I think um, Jesus made this promise, right? Like, I have come that you might have life to the full. And yet, I think so many times we don't have life to the full. We don't, we don't experience the kind of abundance in our life that we desire. There's so many distractions in our life. There's so many pressures, right, that you go through every single day. There, there, you got your phone. You got, you got things are ringing. You got your kids. You're driving people around. You're, you got all this stuff to do. And somehow, this life that Jesus is talking about seems evasive to you. Like, where, where is this? What, what would it really feel like? You know, if I, had, if I had meaning in my life, I woke up every day with meaning or joy. If I experienced healings and parts of me that, like, need desperately to be healed. If I, if I felt the significance that God intended each of us to feel. If, if you woke up every day and you felt the acceptance of a God who created you and loved you and wanted you in your life, if you felt the belonging that God intends for you to experience, what would that be like for you? Because that's, that's what Jesus promised. And maybe there's a tension there between what you have experienced and what Jesus promises, but that's, that's exactly what we're talking about in this series, is what if all that was possible? I mean, if it was possible, what would it stir inside of you? What kind of questions would you ask as a result of it to go, I, I need to know if that's true, then what about this? And what, what's it feel like over here? Why, why doesn't this work out for me? How do I have that kind of relationship with God? And that's what we want to engage in this fall. You know, every, every fall at daybreak, we, we focus on something. And that focus really takes us through the year in a lot of ways as we shape all of our weekend conversations. And our focus this fall is on abundance, on how do I go on a sacred search to find this God in a way, a deep union with God in a way that is so transforming and so life-changing that I am changed forever. Like, this is, this is what we want to talk about. And here's the... Here's the call I make to you is come on the weekend and be a part of that because we're going we're gonna to engage you every weekend. We're going to engage you in a home group. But attending those places, like just showing up here, won't be enough. It won't be enough because the truth is this, I think, that a deeper and a fuller life with Jesus, it takes more than just showing up. It's not just going to be a result of showing up. When I read... When I read through a lot of different writers, I love to read old writing as well as new books. And so, um, well, actually, it's a misnomer that I love to read because I don't love to read, but I love to learn. And so I, I learn from old books and new books. And so I do, I do a lot of reading. When I, and there's one common theme that I see through great spiritual writers, people who are like, man, what kind of journey they have with Jesus? That was depth. That was real. And uh, over and over, this is what I see. There's, there's these two components of it. First is desire. You have to have a desire for a deep union with God. You have to want to be intimately connected with God, to really know him, to be on the search. But this is the second part, and, and I see this show up all through the writings, that desire is never enough. Now, you already know this. We've talked about this, right? I desire to be in shape, but I don't work out, so I'm not in shape, right? Like, you all know this. You desire to eat healthy, 
and yet you stop and buy McDonald's hamburger, and it's not healthy. You, you know that those McDonald's french fries are terrible for you, but you love them, right? There is all these places in our life that we desire something, and what's missing? Choice. Right? We've got to make the choice to engage in it. We've got to go, I want that. You've got to choose to create space for God. And that's my point. It's like when you come, it's not just attending. It's come on the weekend, but make a choice to say, I want to make space for God today. Make a choice throughout the week. And what's what we're going to encourage you with is to make room for one thing in your life that might be new to say, I want to make space for God. This is not just about me. This week. How do I make space for God? How do I go on a sacred search just for the next seven weeks? What if you just focus the next seven weeks? on that sacred search? And what if you discovered abundance in a way that you'd never experienced it before? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it, even if it was just a moment and you just tasted it? And see, that's the question that we're going to get to this morning. The first question, I think the reason why I want to invite you on the sacred search, and this is where we're going to spend our time today, is, comes down to a question. Why waste time with God? I mean, this is the reason that we get into this choice. This is the gap between desire and choice. Why should I waste time with God? Now, I think if you've been in church for a little while, first of all, you're like, did you just really, like, are you really a pastor saying, why waste time with God? And if you've been in church a while, you probably are saying things like, I would never say that. I, it's not a waste, John. It is not a waste, right? Like that, and, and yet, and yet, every one of us here, I know this because I'm, I'm human and I've been with people long enough to know this. Every person here has got up in the morning at some point said, I want to spend time with God, but I just don't have time today. Or, but the kids are too loud today. Or, or I, I got to get to work. How many of us have just rushed into our day and never invited God into any of that space? We find ourselves exhausted at night in bed going, how many of us have been in that space where you might have even made space for God, but the whole time that you're trying to, to read the Bible or to pray or to do something spiritual, the whole time all you can think of is your to-do list after that. And you're watching the clock to see if you did enough time with God. Or, or you spent time with God, but you were like, there was no immediate result. And so you were like, I wasted my time. We might never say the words we've wasted our time, but underneath all of our actions is this feeling of, is that a waste of time? Is it, is it going to be worth it? You know, and that's why this question is so important, because it ignites the desire. This is why we're going to spend time in this subject of a sacred search, is because we want to ignite your desire. It's my hope she'll ignite that desire in you to a choice to say, you know what, it is not a waste that you'll become so convinced by trying some new things during the next seven weeks that you'll become so convinced that it's not a waste of time that you'll say, no, I, I have to be with him. This is the most important part of my day because it's the time when God transforms you when you meet him. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So well, let's get started today. I want to set up today with Two cultural realities, two things that I think we have to face if we're just going to be real about our culture, real about this struggle for us. The first is this, okay? And I think you, you'll, you'll just shake your head, yeah, I want to say this. We live in a culture of hurry, don't we? I mean, everything is a rush. You're rushed to get to your next appointment. You're rushed 
to get to where you need to be next. You feel like people are demanding a lot of you. You're always trying to go. You're looking for shortcuts. You're looking how to get somewhere faster. When people are talking to you, you're not really present with them because you're thinking about the next thing you have to do or the next person you have to talk to, and you feel hurried. And that is part of our culture. It's rush, 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 hurry, hurry, hurry. And it is damaging to our soul. The second one is this. We live in a constant state of distraction. Don't you? Like, when is the last time that you got someplace and you came into like a waiting room and you sat down and you didn't do this? Right? When's the last time that you were waiting for your kids to pick them up someplace and you didn't get this out, you know, and do this? Like, like when is the last time that you were at a restaurant and you didn't look around you and see whole families? Like, they're sitting at the table together, and everybody's doing this, right? They're not really there. Like, everyone, every one of us is in a constant state of distraction. And, and I, was, I was reading up on that a little bit about some psychological studies in there, and it's talking about, like, all of those disruptions, those constant alerts on our phone, every time it happens, it triggers, like, a fight-and-flight mechanism. It keeps us in this constant state of distraction that is so unhealthy that it's not just bad for us but it actually is rewiring us. It's rewiring our constant state of adrenaline. It's rewiring our brains, and it reduces our capacity to think deeply, to experience love, and to enjoy life. It's a pretty big thing. And it, it's kind of funny, right? Because it turns out that all of our efforts to be more connected and to have more fun and to do all this other stuff aren't really answering the deeper problems in our life, which is a fuller and abundant life, what we all really search for. So let me propose two spiritual realities, and then let's get into the meat of the message this morning. Here's two spiritual realities that I think are true that you have to deal with. Through the history of the Scripture, when telling the story of God, we see this one reality, this one deeply spiritual reality that's just contrary to what we experience in our culture, and it's this, God is not in a hurry. I mean, you know that God, in a word, could have created the whole world. One, he only needed one minute. He needed one second. He just had to think it. He waited seven days. Seven days. And then he took a rest. The world is that about? I mean, he could have been so much more productive, right? Like, man, head start. Like, come on, God, let's go. Let's get productive. He could have solved the world's sin problems when the world, when when. Adam and Eve thumbed their nose at God and said, we want to do it our own way. And they got deceived and it made a mess. And Cain and Abel made a mess. And the whole story of throughout the Old Testament was about mess after mess after mess. And God could have cleaned it all up and said, it's over. And he waited and he waited for the right time and the right season. And then he came as Jesus incarnate into the world. Changed the world forever. The whole time that Jesus was here, he wasn't in a hurry. We're going to talk about that today. Like, like God's not in a hurry. I mean, we are. And who knows, you know? I mean, he's lived a long time. Maybe he knows something. Second one is this. And this is what we're going to talk about today. Is God rewards waiting. He does. I know it doesn't feel good. I know it's like opposite to everything you think about being productive and you know, we have such a, a mindset of being productive and getting things done, and it feels good to get something done, but God rewards waiting. 
It is a staple of every deeply spiritual person throughout the history and the story of God. Waiting. Waiting. In fact, Henry Nowen, who's, I love reading Henry Nowen, um, kind of one of my spiritual heroes. I love the way he draws me into a new way of thinking. This is what he says about prayer. He says, real prayer life is when you can get to the place where you're comfortable wasting time with God. How about that? What if your prayer life, like you could see it as valuable to waste time with the God of the universe, to just be with him? Can we explore that a little bit more for a second? Before we get, we're going to talk about two apostles named Peter and John today, two followers of Jesus. But before we do, and you can, if you want to pull out your outline, it's in this little thing called the scoop. There's an outline in there with some scripture that you can follow along today. But I just want to, I want to start with this, this one idea today, this one place that's so important for us to grasp. And it's, it's in Psalm 40, verse 1. And it says this, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned and heard my cry. It's about a guy in the Old Testament that says, listen, in my pursuit of God, this is what I've found. If you want him to hear, you've got to wait on God. You can't just rush into it. He is not a genie that you can rub the lamp and get three wishes. You've got to enter into a relationship patiently. And then the, the, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah 40, 31, maybe if you've been in church a while, you know this one, right? Like, this is what it says. It says, it says, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They'll wait. Those who wait on the Lord will soar on wings of eagles. Those who wait on the Lord, they'll run and not grow weary. Those who wait on the Lord will walk and not be faint. Doesn't that sound like the kind of abundance that you need? How many days, how many Mondays have you gone into your week and felt renewed? ready. I felt like, man, God, I'm so excited about what's to come. Because this is what God wants you. This is the promise that Jesus offers you. And it is a result of waiting, of waiting. And that's what God wants from us. He wants us to come back to this question, why should I waste time with God? Because God values waiting. God values waiting he values us meeting us there, and there are promises. And this is what I want you to get. There are promises, and there is evidence that waiting changes our lives, that waiting has abundance waiting for us when we wait. And that regular time with God can be tough. And so one of the things that we're doing throughout this whole conversation in the next seven weeks, we've interviewed six or seven different daybreakers, um, just to say, hey, so in this space, like in your own spiritual walk, how have you struggled and what have you found when you've done this discipline, when you've exercised and been with God in this way? And this morning we asked Jolene Ness, just talk a little bit, just one minute, about what's it like for her in waiting? What happens for her? What's the struggle like? And it's real. It's real for all of us um, to, to really understand what God wants to do. Let's take a watch. Sometimes I find it hard to want to be still with God. By nature, I like to be active, I like to be productive, and I like to be in control. But then I run hard, and then I wonder why I feel unsettled or fearful and don't have joy. And then I remember, oh yeah, I haven't spent 
some quiet time with God lately. When I'm still with God, I remember who he is and who I am. With him, I can lay down my worries and my fears, and I find his rest and his peace. When I'm with him, my, my view of the world changes, and I remember what's really important. I find clarity, I find hope, and I find purpose. I remember a time a few years ago when I took some time to be with God, and when I came back, my kids said to me, Mom, you should go away more often. I'm reminded that I'm my best self when I'm with God. I love that, right? Mom, you should go away more often, right? Because here's the reality. We feel like if I go away, like I won't be serving my family or I won't be with them, I won't be good enough for them. The reality is if we go away and we waste some time with God and it will feel like a waste because of all the other things we have to get done and all the other things that are demands that we need to meet, we will come back better. We will come back more abundant, more full, more full of life and abundance and what Jesus promised us. But this is the reality. And here's where I think it, it just gets real for us. Everything that we're going to talk about from here on today, in this whole conversation, you're going to find places where it's just going to rub you the wrong way. Don't fear that. Embrace it. Those places where it's just like, but, but, like you're going to hear that. You're going to hear that internal conversation a lot. But, but. Don't let that get in your way. Don't let that get in your way. God wants to do something better here. And I think the reason that it's going to rub you the wrong way is this, because you don't value waiting yet. Yet. But I believe that if you'll do some waiting, if you'll, you'll live into this a second, if you'll get open-hearted about it, God's going to do something new in you today. And listen, if, if, if you feel like at any point today that you feel like, or you're entering in today and you're like, listen, my life is already too abundant. I already have too much joy. I already have too much healing. My life's already full. I am, I am running in a hurry, and it is the best thing I've ever had in my life. I have so much energy. Then just keep doing that for a while, okay? But if that's not where you are today, you're ready, right? You're ready to say, I'm not going to resist it. I'm going to be open to a new way. So that brings us to what we're going to talk about today. And that's, and that's this. Like, why is waiting so transformative? What happens there? Um, so we're going to explore these two apostles, okay? Now, these two apostles' names were James, James, that was his brother, John and Peter. James was also part of the apostles, but we're going to talk about Peter and John. Here, and, and, I, and here's what I want you to get about Peter and John. Peter and John and their story, and we're going to explore a little bit of Acts 1, 2, 3, and 4 today as we excerpts of their story. Peter and John wasted a lot of time with Jesus. In fact, Jesus was super annoying to them. Did you know this? Jesus was never in a hurry, and Peter and John often came to them and said, but hey, the crowds are ready, let's go do some more miracles. And Jesus said, uh-uh, not doing that. They're like, what are you talking about? Right? They, they were always in a hurry for him to launch his kingdom, right? Jesus, let's launch the biggest church ever, mega church, man, we're going we're gonna to make this huge impact, it's going to be great. Jesus went, mm-mm, not what we're going to do right now, we're going to go and pray. Jesus was always modeling and calling them back to it. And and what we're going to discover today is the life in the kingdom of God where abundance is flourished and you are full. That abundant life is reserved for those 
who are willing to waste time with Jesus. It's really what it comes down to. It's reserved for those who are willing to waste time with Jesus. If you don't want to waste time with Jesus, you don't get to experience the abundant life. This is what it really comes down to. This is their story. Now, some of you recall parts of their story. You know that the, they, Peter and John were fishermen. They were some of the first guys that Jesus sought out and said, come follow me. And as fishermen, they were working hard and they were all about that, but they weren't educated. They didn't know their way around the preaching circuit. They didn't know about any of that. Nobody really expected much from Peter and John. They're just ordinary guys. And, and all through the life and ministry of Jesus, they remained relatively unknown. They were just like Jesus' pit crew, right? Jesus is kind of the rock star. Everybody knew him, but nobody really knew Peter and John very much. And then we get to the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is this really cool book. It's like the sequel to the gospel. It's the sequel to the life of Jesus. Like, what happened? What's the crater that the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus made on the world? And that's the book of Acts. It is a super cool book to read. If you ever want to be like, you got to read the book of Acts. It's all in there. And in the book of Acts, it paints this picture of what a spiritually abundant life looks like in the early church. And all the miracles that happened, and all the amazing healings that happened, and all the places where, like, you're just like, how in the middle of all that chaos can you be at peace? And you go, I want that kind of life. You know, you're thrown in jail, you get beat, and you're like, man, I just, I still have joy. Like, I want that kind of life. This is the book of Acts. But you know how they got to this point? Like, they, they, their whole life leads up to this place, this thing called Pentecost. And Pentecost happens in Acts chapter 2, and all these miracles happen at Pentecost. But to get to Pentecost, here's kind of a surprising fact. To get to Pentecost, Jesus' resurrection happens, and Pentecost means 50 days after Passover. So about two months, what do they do? I mean, remember, Jesus came back to life. Came back to life. What do they do? Nothing for two months. Here's what Jesus told them, Acts 1-4. Jesus comes to them, he says, listen, like the resurrection's happened, and they're all excited about it, and they're going to go out and conquer the world. This is what Jesus says. He says, listen, don't go spread this all over. I know that's what I told you what you're supposed to do, but don't do that yet. He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait, wait for the gift that my Father has promised. There it again. It's waiting. Pentecost happened 50 days later, and it's waiting. What did they do in that two months when they could have been telling people, when they had momentum? Like when we see momentum in our lives, we're like, hey, let's jump on board. Let's go after that. What does Jesus say? Wait. Wait. And that seems crazy to us. Don't do anything. Just sit around and wait. And in our age of fast food mentality where we get angry at the fast food place if we can't get our food in like less than two minutes. I mean, I don't know why we want food that you can make in two minutes, but we are so much in a hurry. And what's the result of them waiting? They wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. Now, listen, here's the result. The Pentecost comes. The Holy Spirit comes down and people can see it like fire and they begin to speak 
in different languages. The, the apostles come out. Peter and John are out there. They don't know other languages, and they can speak in other people's languages. The Bible calls they spoke in tongues, in tongues of other languages. The Holy Spirit enabled them, and the reason we know it was other languages is because people there understood in their own language, and they went, well, that's spooky. Because at first they thought they were drunk. And, and, then they, and then there's healings that happen at the result of Pentecost over and over again. And then Peter preaches to this crowd. Now remember, this is the crowd of people in Jerusalem who witnessed Jesus' death, who were there chanting, crucify him, crucify him. And Peter gets up in front of them, and you know what he says? He said, this same Jesus that you crucified on the cross was resurrected, and he lives, and he is God. And now you need to repent. You need to say you're sorry. And you need to believe and you need to receive the Holy Spirit because it's going to change your life. It's a pretty bold thing to say to people. 3,000 people say, I want that. I need that. I mean, that's, that's powerful. The church is born in this moment. But the religious leaders of the day are not happy about it. Right? This is what's going on. So now in the context, like the Religious leaders, they're like, this is out of control. We are unhappy about it. And so fast forward, here's Peter and John. And again, they're, as a, the, what the scripture says in Acts chapter 3 is that they are strolling through the city. They're not out busying themselves. They are strolling through the city because they want to go to the prayer service and wait. They want to be with God. But on their way into the prayer service, In Acts 3, it says they passed this lame beggar. Now, not like lame in the way of like he's not a good beggar, right? Like he's lame, like he can't walk, right? So he's he's begging there and and he's he's asking them for money. And this is what this is the result of waiting. I want you to hear this. This is the result of waiting and slowing down. Acts chapter 3, verse 6. This is what this is what Peter says to him. He says, I don't have any silver or gold for you. How many of you parents have said this to your children, right? Like, I don't have silver and gold for you, right? Like, I'm not the bank. But I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. And he reaches down and he grabs this man's hand and he pulls him to his feet and for the first time, Maybe in this man's life, he can walk. And he is so excited. He is like, it is amazing to him. And so here's what he does. He runs into the prayer service where it's supposed to be quiet. He runs in and he shouts up and down. He's praising God, which is fairly disruptive. And the religious leaders are unhappy. And so Peter does what any good preacher would do and walks into the place and says, Hey, do you want to know what happened here? God did this. This was the result of Jesus Christ. And so he's in the prayer service telling them about Jesus, which makes the religious leaders who don't like Jesus, didn't believe in Jesus, thought they killed Jesus, only to be surprised of his resurrection, which was also surprising to Peter and John. Like, this is all blowing their minds. They're upset. So what do they do? They throw them in jail. Now, if you're Peter and John, you get thrown in jail after doing all of this. And you'd be like, this is not fair. This is a waste of time. I could be, I should be. There's this stuff to do over here. You got all that going on through your minds. Not Peter and John. Overnight in jail, 
They get pulled out the next day in front of the class. The PhDs pull them out in front of the class with the intent to embarrass them, to scold them, and to send them home. And so they pull them out in front of the class because they don't like their message. And guess who looks at them and says, you want to know how this miracle happened? You want to complain about this man who was healed that you know was, you know he can't walk and you know not he does. You want to know how that happened? It was Jesus. And you can't deny it. And I'm calling you out to believe in him because he is, he's God. I mean, this is what Peter says, this like so articulate, so incredibly powerful in this temple to the PhDs. And this is what it says in Acts 4.13. This is their story. It says, when they saw, when the Pharisees, when the religious leaders saw the courage of Peter and John. Now, recognize why this is important. They saw the courage, because guess what they used to see of Peter and John? The pit crew of Jesus. Guess what happened at the resurrection with the pit crew? They ran. Peter said, I don't even know Jesus. And now he's standing in front of them, facing all kind of, of implications of facing them down, saying, you need to come to Jesus. This is the courage of two men who are like, what has happened to them? Their lives are completely changed. These are not the same two individuals I saw before. He says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled and ordinary men. You know what this means? Unschooled and ordinary? Here's what the Greek actually translates to. Idiots. This is what it means. This is the literal, the literal meaning of unschooled and ordinary that gets translated for us, unschooled and ordinary. Idiots. When we, they saw that these two guys who used to be afraid, who used to be, who they saw as stupid and idiots, they knew nothing. They weren't like other Jewish boys that studied the rabbi. These guys were fishermen. When they saw that these idiots had been so transformed and had so much courage and loved you so much that God was just exuding out of their life and they were deeply transformed. This is what it says. They were astonished and they took note that they had been with Jesus. And see, this is where it comes down for our own lives, right? What we discover in their lives is that the abundant life is reserved for those who wait and spend time with Jesus. They waste time with Jesus. This is what we discover through their eyes. You want people to be astonished with your life? Then you've got to spend time with Jesus. And you know why I think Luke recorded these words? Because I think Luke wanted us to know these were not really intelligent guys. These were not like genetically superior guys. These were not people who were like, hey, they're just really hardworking gods. When everybody looked at their lives, they said, these are ordinary, unschooled idiots who were fearful and now are transformed. And see, this is where we need to get to. The surprising reality here is this. Peter and John's life, waiting, waiting, wasting time with God, did not make their lives less. Isn't that what we think? It didn't make their lives less. It made their lives more, more full, more full of joy, more full of significance, more full of meaning, more full of God's power. We don't remember Peter and John because they were particularly productive. We remember them because of the power of God, because of the abundance in their life. 
Now, here's the problem. We all have a hard time acting like this is true, but you know it's true. I mean, if you're a parent, you know that the influence of your children and their lives being changed and what they'll remember long term isn't based on how productive you are. It's based on what much kind of time you spend together. When you waste time together, when you get into their hearts, we have a hard time acting like this is true. This is what God invites us to. And here's the truth. Hurry will always squeeze out the abundant life. Hurry will never make room for the abundance that God wants to bless you with. If you want the abundance of God and a deep union with God and an intimacy with God, then you've got to spend time with Him. Listen, one last thing. Spending time with Jesus is what transforms us. It's not, it's not what we do. See, there's a gap for the religious leaders. They do all the right stuff. They have all the right information. They check off all the lists. In fact, they made more lists because they didn't feel like the lists that God made were enough. And yet, they looked at Peter and John's life and they went, I'm astonished. I want that. Whatever happened to them was so significant that I need it. This has implications for us. It's not all the podcasts that you listen to. It's not all the things that you seek. It's not all the duties that you check off that are going to complete your sacred list, your sacred search, and give you the abundant life. It is your time to be with God. Not doing all the right things, but to be with God. At the under the underseam of all of that, underneath everything that we do should be about being with God. And so this morning, we're going to pause for a moment. And we're going to do a baptism. Because baptism is this moment where you revisit, what does it mean for me to want the abundant life? It's a moment as a follower of Jesus that you remember what God did in your own life. And you say, I want that. I want to be on the sacred search. I want the promise that Jesus offers me for the abundant life. God wants an abundant life for you. And what you need to decide is, are you ready for that same abundant life yourself? Are you ready for that? And I want you to sit with that. I want you to go this morning, what's God stirring in you? And so I'm going to stop and I'm just going to pray for a minute. Will you pray with me for a minute? God, I pray that in this next moment as we hear about life change and what you're going to do in Kristen's life, I pray that you would stir new possibilities in us for a sacred search. That we would lean into Jesus, that we'd say, Jesus, I need you as my life that we would give up thinking what we used to think and that we might go, God, if wasting time with you is what will give me the life that you promise, I'll make the choice to lean into. In Jesus' name, amen.